Hello, and welcome to Spotlight 32. Today, we have a special guest. We are going to be talking to one of the guys who helped influence this whole concept of the podcast. This is Senior Master Sergeant Jay Hughes. Senior Hughes, how's it going? It's going good, man. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's uh, it's nice doing these early, I feel. I feel like I still have a whole day afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. Um, it, you know, it, it's a... Uh, it, it, it's, it probably does offer kind of like a, a stark contrast to where, you know, when I do the hanging with Hughes, like on Friday evenings, it's kind of like at the end of the week and, and it can definitely be like um, kind of draining to even get started that late in the day and, and, and then finish so late in the evening. So I definitely see some, some added benefits to doing these early in the morning. <laughs> Sounds good. So tell me about, about uh, your program. What it, how did that start? what's what brought that about so um to be you know perfectly honest with you it it basically started off i think i had um seen the commander's um i don't know if you've seen the commander's article that uh was pushed by general general holmes um, talking about, you know, how a squadron commander should respond to uh, COVID-19. And uh, a big piece of that was virtual connectedness. Um, and, you know, to be honest, at that, I think at that point was like right when it kind of started was when, um, you know, things had kind of started shutting down. Um, you know, I think I'd been told that I was only supposed to come to work like one day a week, every two weeks at this point. And it was basically like, okay, I have to do something. I can't just sit around and, mm-hmm. and not, not do anything at all. Um, and you know, what's, what's kind of like the one thing that I can do, you know, is, is, you know, whether it's a good thing or not is, is talk. Right. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, you know, like, um, you know, one thing I can do is talk. And, and, and the other thing that I do like, like doing is, is, uh, is, is kicking back, you know, one or two adult beverages while I kind of run my mouth, I guess. So I was like, you know what? I was like, let's give this a shot and see how it goes. And so, um, specifically that's, that's, that's how that was born. That's not bad at all. I, so I, I took direct inspiration from you for this. Um, I liked that you had your topics that you wanted to cover, um, and that you had people on regularly. So my whole idea was, why don't we do that in a more casual atmosphere? Um, and then instead of doing Facebook, I just decided we're just going to push it to wherever people listen to their music. Because I figured it's maybe more accessible, but also a little easier to ignore, I think. Um, but that's okay. It gives everyone the option. Um, so thank you for that. That's been very helpful for me. Um, this is like my my social interaction for the day because <laughs> I'm just hanging out, taking care of my daughter full time while my wife works right now. Yep. Um, so this is a fantastic outlet for me. And so thank you for helping me to to get to that point. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm super glad that, that you're doing this. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, everybody needs to kind of find like their thing. Right. Um, and especially right now, uh, what we don't want people doing 
is kind of sheltering themselves in their home, you know, not communicating to people, not, mm-hmm. not, not feeling like they're involved. Right. Because, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to get into the whole, you know, resilience thing with the different, you know, posts in the pedestal. Right. But like, you know, COVID, you know, 19 kind of, you know, kicked at least one part of that pedestal out from a lot of people. Right. Was, mm-hmm. was the ability to kind of feel like, you know, the one thing, whether, you know, people want to admit it or not that, you know, having a job gives them is it gives, gives them purpose. Right. Um, and so a lot of folks probably right now are, are, are sitting in their houses, you know, not really being able to work, you know, because that's kind of their job is to stay home and stay safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've lost a little bit of that purpose. Right. So, anything that can kind of give some, some people purpose and, and make them feel connected, you know, is, is definitely a good thing. You know, definitely. I definitely agree. I, yeah, at this point, if people just want to listen in, I wouldn't, I would know if they listen to, I have all that information at my fingertips, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but the, um, just the option for them to, to hit this while they're doing something else is, is big for me. Um, I listen to podcasts myself. So this is, you know, little full circle for me. That's awesome. Um, let us change lanes for a second. Okay. Let's get a personal intro from you. What are some good things you want us to hear about you? Oh man. Some, you know, I, it's, I feel like I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm kind of like an open book and most people, hopefully by now I've heard at least a, a, something about me. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but I'll, I'll try to give like the basic kind of rundown of, 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 of who I am, like where I come from and, and kind of what I'm about. Um, so I was, I was born and raised in, in Eastern North Carolina. Um, you know, I was kind of a, uh, a slacker underachiever as a, as a child. Right. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was, I was more interested in, in surfing, uh, than I was like doing homework, going to school or, or, or working for that matter. Um, I got fired from, from plenty of jobs for, for, uh, when the surf was good, I, I would hit the beach instead of going to work. So, okay. um, you know, I, I, I then went to, I graduated high school. I gave college a shot. I wasn't mature enough to, 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 to do all that, live on my own, um, make it to school on time, go to classes. Right. Which, which is funny because like, I, I'm still shocked to this day now that my parents kind of even let me go to college because the writing should have been <laughs> the writing should have been on the wall that I was not going to do well based off of 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 how I did you know in in high school. So um, went to college, you know, and 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 didn't do so well. And you know, the I was talking to my dad, and and you know, when I told my dad, hey, I, I failed out, you know, I was, and. And he was like, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, I was like, well, don't worry. I was like, I've already signed up for the air force. So I'm leaving, you know, here in a couple months to go into the air force. And, uh, this was back in, in shoot, like May or June of, of 2001. Um, and back then, I don't, I don't think it's this way now, but back then, like you could, uh, basically get a guaranteed job. Like I told the recruiter that, Hey, you know, this is the job I wanted and I was only going to come in if this job was available. And, you know, nowadays I think the recruiters laugh at you, but, um, if you do that, but 
but they were like, yep. They're like, Hey, we've got a job. We've got a slot open. It's not going to be open until September, you know? So, um, we just need you to hang out in the debt program for a couple months while we wait for your, uh, bootcamp date. I was like, okay, cool. So I, uh, you know, was working my job at Blockbuster and, you know, just kind of being a surfer bum and, you know, woke up the morning of, uh, September 11th that morning and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of flicked on the news like I did every morning before I went into work and, you know, they were interviewing a, a commander at like one of the local bases and he was talking about their security posture change. And I was just like, Oh, that's weird. You know, and, uh, didn't think anything of it and, and went into work and, you know, um, watched the, uh, watched the towers fall, mm-hmm. um, that morning at, at work in Blockbuster. And I was kind of like, that was a big kind of like life defining moment for me. Right. It's like, Oh God, like, okay. And, and that really changed like my perspective on joining the military kind of like at that moment, because, you know, prior to that I joined kind of to escape, you know? Um, and then, uh, once that kind of happened, I, my mentality changed more from, you know, getting out of my hometown to, you know, um, to, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve my country, you know? And so, uh, my boot camp date, uh, did get pushed back because everything went into, to FBCon Delta at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, so I ended up leaving to go to basic training in October, 2001, uh, still as a comm troop, you know, I, I, I'm not, wasn't originally an Intel troop, but, um, you know, did went to basic graduated, right before, right after, right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right before Thanksgiving. Um, and then we went to tech school, graduated from tech school, went to, uh, my first duty station in Panama city, Florida. Um, I was stationed there till about 2009. Yeah. 2009 where I, I was forced cross trained, uh, in the NCORP program. Um, and, uh, they told me that no matter what, I was going to have to cross train. So I might as well volunteer. So, um, because I was number one on the list. So, so I, I volunteered for, uh, one in four and, and, and the rest has kind of been history. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. You're a one in four. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, you know, so, so, okay. So, so that, so that brings up an interesting story, mm-hmm. um, about, about being a one in fours, um, because, I, I love being a one and four now, like be, being a one and four to me is probably, it's one of the greatest career fields. And it's not just because I'm in the career field. Um, but when I first cross trained into one and four, I absolutely hated being a one and four hated. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and the reason why that is, is, uh, you know, I've told people the story before is, you know, so everything in the one and four career field talked about, um, you know, that I could find talked about, uh, oh yeah, you know, network exploitation and, and, you know, adversary this and adversary that. And, and I was like, oh man, like I was a calm guy. Right. So like, I just saw the word like network over and over and over again. <laughs> um, and I was just like, oh man, this is going to be great. You know, like this is really what I want to do, you know? And it's like, um, oh man, what was, what was it called? It was going to be, it's like, the career field was supposed to be, be titled like, um, network intelligence analysis. That's what the career field was, was titled. 
in everything I read, right? So I show up to Goodfellow and, um, you know, and the very first thing they say is like, welcome to signals analysis, signals analysis reporting course. <laughs> and I just went like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Mm. And everything went not from digital networks, which is what everything I read about prior to going over was about, um, into, you know, like reporting on old, you know, UHF, you know, stuff. Right. Mm. And it, and I was just like, and basically like they made the career field seem as if, you know, what your job was, was to basically take information from one source, copy and paste it into a machine readable format and hit send. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, like there's been a huge mistake. Um, and so I like, after like, I think after like a week in the course, I went to go, I was like, Hey, I need to talk to the superintendent. You know? So I went to the, uh, they, they let me get out to the superintendent's office and I was like, Hey, like, you know, I feel like you guys have misled me on what this is. Like, this isn't, you know, this isn't what all the, all the literature was, you know, I was like, I, I don't want to be here. Like I need to go back to my unit so I can, you know, figure something else out. Mm -hmm. Superintendent who I, I think a lot of people know him. I'm not going to name him uh, from this, but did probably what I thought was one of the, and still think is probably one of the most unprofessional things ever. But he was like, well, I guess you can fail out. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I'm just like, I'm like, are you for real, dude? Like, you know, I'm, I'm an E five, you know, at the time I was like, you know, if I fail out of this course, like there's a very good chance that they're just going to out process me from the military, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and so I, uh, I finished the course begrudgingly. I was not super excited about it. Like went to my, got to my first duty station at Shaw air force base. And like, literally the first thing I did was like go to the OSI office and be like, Hey, like, you know, I hear you guys will are, are looking for volunteers. Like, you know, like, uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll cross train, you know? And, and I went through that process up to the point where the, uh, they sent a, a memo to the functional manager asking me to be released from the career field and the functional manager. I'm pretty sure had a good chuckle as he stamped denied on it. You know, so, <laughs> So that's, but, you know, but the thing about it is, is even after all that, right, which, um, that, that whole situation could have definitely been handled better by multiple parties, probably me, including one. Right. Um, but, uh, now that I've kind of persevered through the, the early part of that career field change, um, I could tell you that, you know, I'm super proud of, of, a whole host of things that I've accomplished, you know, as a one and four and things I've been involved in. Um, and, uh, you know, if I, if I had, if I could do it all again, I would, I would definitely go right back into this career field. I, so I, well, I do a little bit of my job. I did a little bit of my job. Um, I felt the same way. This is like, you know, the, the stuff that they joke around and say, this is what you don't want to get stuck doing was what I feel like I was doing for a little while. Um, yep. And that's fine. That's all the, you know, bottom of the barrel, just getting started kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure I'd have it any other way though, either. Um, not that I have much to go off of because this is my, my first, um, my, my first AFSC. So I don't know uh, what else there is, but I, 
I don't know. I could stay like this. I could, I could get more into it. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do more of the technical stuff and get further in the weeds. So, um, so it's interesting, right? Like I was, I was talking with, um, one of our, our, uh, CGOs yesterday and, you know, the, the thing is, is I know it's, it's super cliche to set, to talk about like bloom where you're planted, right? It's super cliche and it's, and it's very, it's a very easy thing to say, but, um, the thing is, 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 is people notice folks who, you know, regardless of what situation that they're in, you know, power through it and, and, and get it done. Right. Mm. Um, and then those folks get, get further opportunities. Right. Um, and you know, you, you never know, you never know like what, what's going to come your way. Um, and you know, I, th- I think the best way that, to, that to kind of explain it is right. Is like, you know, you're, you aren't responsible for, for what happens to you. Right. Like, like, um, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not responsible for, for what job is for what work is put your way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's completely outside of your control. Somebody else, at least at your level now, somebody else is deciding for you, you know, what your, what your, what your jobs are going to be, what your mm-hmm. tasks are going to be. Right. Um, but what you are in control of is how you respond to those tasks. And you can respond one of two ways. You can respond negatively and be like, Oh man, this sucks. I don't want to do this, you know, and, and, and do a terrible job or, or just barely get it done. Right. Or you can respond with, you know what? And you can even honestly say like, yeah, this sucks. I, I, I really don't want to do this, but you know what? I'm still going to do the best job that I possibly can. Um, and people, people notice that and, you know, much bigger and better and greater things come to those folks that, that can get things done regardless of the situation in that, that they, that they're in. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I've always been the one who wants to be the one who excels. Um, I I do accept my own limitations to an almost unhealthy, um, level. (laughs) I'll, I'll be the one who says, uh, that's his thing. That's, that's not my thing. I'll just let him have that. And that's fine. I'm not the best by any means. I'm just going to send all that stuff his way and it's no big deal. Um, which needs to be worked on a little bit, but we'll get there. Um, just takes consistency. You've, you've um, got plenty of time. You're, you're, exactly. you're fine. Exactly. Um, um, I had written down a couple of things when you were giving your intro. Uh, okay. First off, I, had a very similar situation with high school um i did terrible in the beginning in the middle was fine because i was at a private school and i had to do well and then when i got back home for my senior year i was terrible again um i just i don't know i'd been locked up for two years i felt like i needed to kind of cut loose and not worry about it so much um and then i it's interesting that you brought up blockbuster um first off that's one of those jobs that i always kind of wish that i had oh man it was the greatest greatest job ever 
I, I totally believe it. I wanted to do like blockbuster. I wanted to do like movie theaters and pizza shops, like all those stereotypical, you know, high school, uh, high school kid jobs. Yep. Um, I still think that blockbuster would be a hoot though, but I want to talk about 9-11 and blockbuster. So you get there and you see the towers fall. Yep. Your reaction is to stay at work or did you just say, no, this isn't happening. I'm leaving. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, there, there was nothing else other to do than to just, you know, kind of sit at work, right? Like we had a, we ha- I, I want to say we had like one TV that had like the news going. And I'm trying to remember if we like just made an exception that day just to kind of like watch the news or if that TV like played something else. Um, but no, we just, you know, I mean, I was 18. No, no, I was 18. I was 20. I'm trying to think. Uh, no, I was 19. I was getting, I was getting ready to turn 20. Um, I was 19. So, you know, I'm a 19 year old kid and, you know, I see this, tragedy kind of unfolding in front of me right um and i i remember understanding some of 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 what had happened you know obviously i i was you know fully cognizant that you know several thousand people were were basically being kind of you know killed right in right in front of me live on tv right um but the way that day kind of unfolded was, you know, there was the the first plane attack in the morning. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, there was the second plane attack. And then maybe like, you know, an hour later, I think or there was the, the, the third plane attack. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it was, and then it was hours later until the towers fell. Right. And I think I was like, well, kind of in the day when, when the towers fell, and, um, you know, that just became super surreal at that point. Right. Um, and, you know, we have to kind of go back to, you know, 2001. Um, I had a cell phone at the time. Right. But it was, you know, I think, I don't even think that the cell phone I had was able to power like, uh, any sort of like instant messenger capability other than and text messages right um and so i think like the 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 most amount of like you know folks that i could talk to was you know a uh a gaming message board that i was a member of where we kind of talked about anything and everything and and of course like that day was was a uh, you know a lot of communication going on 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 that and it's kind of i was i do remember kind of trying to like you know, I mean, now that we know that there was roughly, I, I went off the top of my head, there was roughly like 3000 killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do strictly remember like that day, like we were still waiting to find out, you know, how many people possibly perished that day. And, and like, I want to say I, like initial estimates were, you know, they, it, we were totally expecting to, to be like 10,000 people mm-hmm. to have died that day. Right. Um, and so, and so, yeah, it's just this very like, surreal kind of you know day in my mind um 
you know, but I, I don't know, I can't say that I would have done any other thing than, than, you know, kind of sit there and, and, and finish out the day and, and be ready to be done with my shift so I could try to process everything that was going on at the time. I, that's impressive. I would not have been able to help a single person rent Raiders of the Lost Ark that day. Personally, at least, I would have just been, I, well, from my perspective, when it happened, I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, but I do distinctly remember thinking, this is going to make it so I don't see my dad. Um, because he was army and we were in Germany. And at the time, I think he may have been TDY somewhere else. Um, so I, 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 I didn't see my dad very often anyways. He was working ridiculous hours all the time. And the yep. only time that we had together was when he got home and we either watched um, JAG or Star Trek. So that was like, this is cutting into my TV time. It's TV time I'm not going to have with anyone else but my dad there. Um, yeah. So I, I do remember that. I don't remember the, uh, the, like, the weight of people knowing that human life had been lost. I don't think I quite understood that concept. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I remember all that. I, I remember a lot of the imagery. I remember seeing the videos of the people who were trying to get, um, like, run through, like, the clouds of, yeah and stuff trying to get into stores and whatnot for safety um yeah that was that was a time i i i think i get i think i understand your point um Mm -hmm. and you know yeah it does it does kind of seem like how like yeah I, i i get what you're saying kind of how like ridiculous it is right like you know, here we are kind of on TV and, and, and there's, you know, potentially thousands of people perishing. Right. And yet, you know, here's somebody walking a blockbuster, potentially completely oblivious to what's going on. Right. Um, and they're asking to, you know, rent some, you know, stupid, what was, what was big at the time, uh, you know, Mike Myers movie, you know know, and and it's kind of like one of those things it's i mean i hate to use the word surreal again but it's kind of like a surreal moment yeah it's like you know what you're serious right now like this is going on and and this is what you want to do this is your response to it um but i would like to give folks the benefit of the doubt i i would i I don't remember it clearly what the rest of that day was like because it was entirely in focused on that but I do kind of feel that everything did kind of shut down. Um, Mm -hmm. I I do kind of feel that everybody kind of stopped what they were doing for a couple days and just kind of sat glued to the TV, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's hop off this for a sec. Okay. Tell me about surf in North Carolina. Um, I'm from California, so I don't okay. believe that there can be surf in North <laughs> okay. Carolina. So, so, so yeah, it's the, the Pacific ocean and the, and the Atlantic ocean are two very different beasts, right? Um, the, the Atlantic ocean, the surf is, is, is obviously a lot smaller. There's some good spots in North Carolina. Um, there's a lot of terrible spots in North Carolina. Um, there's, there's a lot of spots that are 
to get to where the good surf is, you basically have to risk your life. Um, you know, uh, in North Carolina, basically where the surf is, is at its best is, is by, by surf, by piers, um, because they've essentially built artificial reefs around those piers to, to, to get, um, to attract fish. Um, and that kind of changed the surfscape around, around those piers. Uh, we also have the, uh, outer banks, which, um, stick far enough out, um, into the, uh, into the ocean to, to, to get decent surf. Uh, Cape, Cape Hatteras is, is kind of like the big, uh, place that is known on the, on the, on the east coast in north carolina as far as surfing is mm-hmm. um you know but but yeah most of the time it's it's you know where we were happy with like one to two feet swells right like if that was if there was anything if there was any swells that were over two feet like that was a good day you know um and then the, of course the big thing is hurricanes right like mm-hmm. um if there was a hurricane coming you know we were, we were skipping school, you know, out, you know, a couple days in advance of the hurricane, um, hoping to get to it before it got, while the swell was there before it got too choppy. Uh Right. Um, and then also the, the, the other place besides a hurricane being, being dangerous, it was the, uh, was the, um, the inlets, right. So where the, the ocean and the sounds, uh, would, would meet, um, typically like, there would be vast stretches of ocean that were probably only like a foot deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right off the edge of that, um, you would, it would drop off significantly, um, and, and would, would have pretty good waves. The problem with that area though, is it's just the rip current, which is absolutely mm-hmm. brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, every year some kid would die, um, you know, getting, getting pulled out to, to, to see, or, you know, during those, during those, you know, one of the stories I, I, that I, that I remember distinctly was, um, surfing with my buddy during a hurricane swell. And, and, uh, I was on one side of the pier with my butt, with my buddy and, uh, was losing the battle against the, uh, against the swells one day. And, uh, I got pulled out completely past the end of the pier. And, you know, luckily at the time, like I, I, knew a little bit about, you know, how to survive, um, getting caught in like rip currents. Right. So, um, instead of like swimming directly against it, you know, I just angled my board to the, to the, you know, somewhat parallel to the ocean and just kind of started paddling in that general direction, slowly trying to, you know, make my way. And I I finally made my way to, uh, to land about a mile or so down the beach. Um, and, uh, (laughs) you know, walked, finally walked up, you know, sort of semi-collapsed and, you know, got up and, and started walking down the road, uh, back to where me and my buddy were at. And, you know, who do I see driving down the road, but my buddy in his car. Right. And, uh, you know, he sees me and he stops and I'm like, dude, like, what the hell? And he's like, he's like, oh man. He's like, he's like, well, he's like, I'm glad you're here because I was going to go tell your parents that you had died. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> like, well, thanks for, Thanks for looking for me. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think we ever had anything like that for for me personally. I think um I think my closest experience to that was maybe um we went out sledding with a church group in um the Tahoe Mountains. Yep. And we me and this other guy, for some reason 
nobody actually no i know why nobody liked him um <laughs> and it was because he's kind of a show-off and he was like uh, like as a 16 year old kid he was jacked um and it, it, he had a kind of muscle that just like is never going to go away he is always going to be this muscular monstrosity um but he's also kind of an airhead so you had to be a little more patient with him um and we went up and he's like i'm gonna we're gonna go down the biggest hill we're gonna go do this and that and um he said just you know take the sled go down and just just go don't even look back <laughs> you go first i'll go next and yeah. um so we go down this enormous hill and there's trees all over the way mm, yeah um and he i don't know what happens to him but i hear him screaming and not like the kind of enjoyment scream, yeah. um, but not in pain. Just like, you know, he probably ate it pretty good. Um, and I just say, okay, well, I'm going to keep going. And I kept going. And then I hit um, a spot where a snowboarder had been and just kind of roughed up the snow a little bit. And I flipped over. I was going towards a tree in the air. And it was like one of those slow motion moments. Yeah. I slipped. I'm sliding across the the snow a little bit on my chest and then I went down into this hole because when oh. you have all that snow, yeah, the snow doesn't go down to the base of the tree. And so I slipped down there, um, totally unharmed, but I couldn't get out. Oh man. So I'm just kind of sitting there like kicking around, trying to dig myself out and it's not working. And he is, you know, maybe fifteen minutes later, he doesn't know where I'm at. And he comes walking down the hill and he's screaming my name and I'm trying to scream at him, but it's not really working because I'm in this hole and all the sounds just going <laughs> to the bottom of the hole. And then uh, he finally finds me. He pulls me out and he's freaking out saying, oh my God, I thought that you would crack your head open on the tree. And, oh, Jesus. and then immediately after he gets over that, we're going to do this hill again. <laughs> It sounds about right. Yeah, I was like, uh, maybe you are, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. So you probably don't do much surfing nowadays since you're here in Maryland. Nope. What are you filling your time with? Um, so, you know, uh, my big thing right now um, is filling my time is with my my kids. They They take up a huge amount of my time, um, which is, you know, it's just good. Right. Um, but as far as like my personal time, um, prior to COVID-19 jujitsu was, was my big thing. Okay. Uh, and so I'm super excited because, uh, my gym's finally somewhat opening back up. We're basically, you know, starting this weekend, we're allowed to identify like one to one or one to two, one other people, one to two other people, that are basically going to be like our set training partners for the, for, for the, for the next while. Mm -hmm. And we're allowed to train with like those people, um, in specifically sectioned off areas on the mat. So, so I, I'm, I'm super excited to get back in there. Um, you know, it, it's something I definitely miss doing and, and, and was my, uh, physical fitness regimen of choice. That's awesome. So I have never done anything like that. Um, Give me the rundown. What makes jujitsu different from other martial arts? So the 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 big thing that jujitsu is is different from other martial arts is 
oh man, I, I don't want to offend too many people with this, but it's, it is not pretentious. Um, and it is, uh, is, is one of those, one of those things where, um, you, you've, it very much teaches you resilience. Um, and, and what I mean by the not pretentious piece, right, is there's no, there's no fancy katas where like you're, you know, doing a, a, a you know, uh, a, I don't want to say a dance, but you know, like, like, I don't know if you've ever watched like the karate kid, right? Like, you know, like sure. the, uh, the like wax on wax off or like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the crane kick, like, like there's nothing, there's nothing like that. That is completely just like, it's not, uh, one of the things that like jujitsu completely makes fun of is, is a lot of other martial arts and, and we kind of call them, uh, uh, Bushido is, <laughs> is like, you know, you're not gonna like, you're just, despite all the, you know, uh, I, I forget his name, but the guy with the ponytail, despite, uh, despite all his movies, you know, you're not going to be able to grab somebody by the wrist and like lead them around in circles and then have them do a flip. Right. Like, uh-huh. like, like that is not possible whatsoever. Um, and nobody in jujitsu is going to teach you how to do that. What, what jujitsu will teach you is how to safely, you know, either take a fight to the ground or, or, or put yourself in a, in a position where you can defend yourself. Should you be on the ground? Um, and then, you know, how to um, reverse whatever bad position you're in and then, you know, to, to successfully, you know, incapacitate your opponent either through, you know, putting them to sleep, breaking their arm, leg, you know, whatever, or just, you know, controlling them. Um, and that's kind of the big thing that, like, for, for jiu-jitsu practitioners, um, you know, at least like, you know, the white belt being the very beginner belt, right. For, for like the next belt up, it's not so much like, you know, how good you are really. It's, it's how well you can kind of, uh, control an aggressor, right. Like um, that, that, that could potentially outweigh you or be stronger than you are. It's not so much of like, Hey, like, can you like beat this person up, but it's, can you defend yourself appropriately and control them to where they can't do damage to you? And basically at that point is where we can, is where a lot of folks are like, yep, you're ready for your, for your next rank up. Okay. So then I'm going to try and put this in my own words. It's not flowery or showy. It's a very practical, um, you know, this is my, my objective is to defend myself or to incapacitate so this is what I'm going to learn, not necessarily all this crazy, you know, uh, Jackie Chan type stuff. Yep. yep, absolutely right. It's 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 completely practical knowledge. Um, that you know, yes, there 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 is sport aspect to it, right? Like, um, and and there is a big difference between like the self defense and the sport aspect piece of it, right? Like. Like, you know, um, self-defense jujitsu, you know, disregards like, a, like, you know, 
rules, right? Like, like in a sure. self-defense situation, you know, um, well, you're going to be going for blood. So it, you're going to be going for blood and like, you're going to be expecting somebody to like punch you, you know what I mean? And stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Right? Where like sport, you know, in sport jujitsu, like there's no, there's no punches or kicks or anything. And so it's, you know, you're, you're not so much concerned about like, you know, Hey, like, is this person going to kick me in the head if I'm on the ground? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but, you know, the thing about that is, is, you know, should somebody, you know, successfully get you on the ground while they're still standing, even just through if all you learned was the sport aspect of it, you would still be pretty dangerous within arm's reach of somebody's legs if they were standing over you. you know? Okay. I like that. I haven't talked to my wife about it, but I do want to put my, my daughter in something like that. Um, so any sort of any sort of martial art is going to be good for, for a kid. Right. Um, and you know, I would absolutely, you know, just because I practice jujitsu, I would recommend jujitsu, but, um, you know, I think anything that, that want that whose aim is to build physical fitness and self-esteem is fantastic for kids. Right. Sure. Because that's what kids need. Um, at, at younger ages is they need, you know, somebody to show them, Hey, if you're willing to put work into something, you can earn something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but they also need something to teach them kind of restraint too at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, a a lot of, a, a lot of kids, you know, aren't really taught, you know, the, restraint very well by their parents because unfortunately now kind of in our society um i think our society is very like me oriented currently um and you know less and less people understand that you know they need to you know think less about what is immediately beneficial for them and 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 what you know what can be done with a a little bit of you know restraint sure sure um so that's an interesting topic. How do you teach that to someone so young, like your children? Um, I, not I, I, well. Well, sure. Yeah. It, does it go beyond just like the oh, hey, the, you know, share. You might not be the best at something, or is it? Okay, so you know, it. I I I raise my kids very differently than the way that I was brought up. Um, you know, my, my dad was, was very author, authoritarian. Um, you know, it was with him, it was basically like his way or the highway, you know? Um, and, and my mom was, was basically the same way as well. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big differences that is in the way that I raised my kids is, is like spanking. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've, I fully, you know, recognize now as an adult that like my parents didn't necessarily teach you know discipline more than it was you know physical abuse you know yeah um and so you know i remember as a kid getting you know just i mean just beat with like belts and stuff like that right and Mm -hmm. and now i can't even imagine getting mad enough to 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 spank my kids in the way that i was kind of brought up right so um, what I try to do is, is I try to put things into terms that they can understand. Right. Um, you know, especially when it comes to their interactions with 
with, with each other and with other folks is, you know, um, try to get them to understand that, Hey, like, you know, um, when their friends do certain things to them, how does that make them personally feel? Right. How do they appreciate that? Right. Um, you know, and then getting them to kind of understand that. And then, you know, also kind of, you know, we, when the kids are, are, are misbehaving, they have, you know, kind of identifying things that they personally value. And then if we need to get their attention, taking away the things that they personally value. Right. Okay. Like, yeah. um, iPads, you know, the use of the ability to play with friends, um, you know, access to electronics. Um, my son, when he was little, like one of the things that used to absolutely like get his attention was, um, I would tell him to, uh, whenever he misbehaved was like, Hey man, you need to go put your nose against the wall. And you would have thought that was the end of the world. Like he just absolutely just hated that, you know, but it got his attention, right? Like, like, you know, you're, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do right now. So instead of doing anything else, you're going to stand right there with your nose against the wall. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't say anything to him and, and just kind of let him just stand there and just boohoo about it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he would, he would, he would get the point. I wish that I had gotten that a little bit more um, myself. My uh, my mom's version of stand in the wall, stand at the wall with your nose. It it was my nose on the wall, but it was with two big old rocks, um, and I had to hold them out straight. So it was like a fantastic shoulder workout. But <laughs> small child, that was not what I was focused on whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I mean. Um, my, my daughters are, are definitely a lot tougher than, um, my son was, they, you know, my son has a natural inclination to follow the rules while my daughters are, are definitely more inclined to figure out how to get around the rules. And so that's, that's been a bit of a challenge. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant kind of struggle, but it, but it's something that, you know, you, you put work into every day. Right. Sure. Sure. So how does, you, you know, you have your children who, who have their, um, their mindset and you're trying to teach them to be decent people. Um, while it seems like a very big focus on, on empathy with your kids. Um, how does that apply to airmen? And I don't mean that to say that airmen are the same level as children, but there's a certain, you know, once you've grown up, let's phrase it that way, actually. People who have grown and they might have lost some of that empathy, um, when you work with them, what do you do to, or, or do you step in and say, you know, this is where we're headed as a team or, or what's your... Um, your reaction. So, so that's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very interesting thing to kind of talk about, right. Is because one of the things that I think adults really lose through their early adulthood and kind of mid adulthood, um, 
is the ability to think objectively about other, about other people. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's people become very focused on what their personal thoughts and feelings are. And then they try to attribute that to other people. Right. Mm. And so what I try to get people to do is take a step back and, and think about, think more objectively about the current situation. Um, you know, like, like I, I, for instance, right now there's, there's a situation that I'm kind of trying to diffuse where, um, everybody is kind of just constantly thinking negatively about everybody else. Right. Uh And it's like, guys, like, you know, number one, like you have to let go of these grudges and number two, you know, you, you have to understand that, that nobody is very few people in the world are being purposefully malicious. Sure. Right. And especially folks that are wearing the uniform or, you know, working for the government, right? Like, like there's very few, if any at all, that, you know, are, are, when they make decisions are making them with the, uh, oh yeah, I'm really like screwing over this, this group of people. Right. Um, it just doesn't, it, it's, it's, it just doesn't happen, um, there. But the problem is, is, you know, folks, think something affects them negatively. So instead of like trying to look at the bigger picture, they default to, well, this person is just trying to screw me and somebody else over. Right. When, you know, that I would, I would argue that's hardly ever the case, especially when it's, you know, senior personnel making decisions that affect junior personnel. Like they don't no no leader that, you know, has made it around these days specifically purposely you know tries to get one over on junior personnel sure yeah yeah people don't normally have that desire to to hurt someone um i'm going to change topics for just a sec i tried (laughs) to join your conversation that you had with chief toberman yep um i wish i had been able to to be there for that um, give me a little, a little bit about that. How did that go for you? So I think it, I think it went really well. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, the chief is, um, like, like me, he's, he's, he's a little bit long winded. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking, not so much on like space force or professional development topics. Well, it was still a professional development topic, but, you know, we spent a lot of time kind of talking about, you know, the current societal issues that we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we, we spent an inordinate amount of time talking about kind of like unconscious biases, right? Sure. Like, um, which is, you know, one of the key things that I think he brought up was like, you know, it's so easy now to see a data point, right? And, go, Oh yeah, that data point is, is exactly right. But how are you being served that data point? Mm -hmm. If it's through an electronic medium, you know, and by that, I mean like your Facebook, your Twitter feed, your Instagram feed, your, you know, um, your news reader aggregate, right? Every single one of those tools 
has built has an algorithm that runs it to where it goes and grabs stuff that it thinks you would be interested in. Yeah. So you're already, you know, kind of pre-selected to be interested in something that's being provided to you. So then you're getting that confirmation bias by agreeing to, by agreeing with what you're being served. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what chief Toberman really kind of challenged people to do was to, you know, try to find more information other than what is immediately being served to them on a topic and expands kind of their depth of knowledge about it, which I think is, is super important, right? Like, like, you know, I mean, to, to, to talk about like a, co a common argument that, you know, we hear with, you know, the issues going on right now is like, Oh, you know, people just want to erase history. Right. Yeah. And, and this is people talking about like removing statues well, you know, if you go and try to learn more about those statues, you know, you'll find out that no, those statues weren't erected in, you know, 18, 18, 1890. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't erected in even 1900. The majority of them were erected in, you know, 1920s through 19, through the 1950s in response to the desegregation movement. Yep. Right. So, you know, so no, those statues are not history, right? Those, those statues represent a very real and very purposeful message being sent to the political environment that was going on that time. Right. Um, and, and, and it, you, it, yes, that, that is, that is that can be difficult. It can it takes time to go and gather facts, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to be able to, and that's where I think a lot of like folks get disingenuous with their debate, right? Is um, there are some folks out there that you know come pre-baked with you know thirty different facts, right? Mm -hmm. And then you try to have a discussion with them. And their facts are all on 30 different topics. So they bounce around from topic to topic to topic yeah, with, yep. with, with different facts. And so anytime you challenge something, they have a, a different fact on another topic, right? And so they're not willing to, 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 to give you time to, and you, you, you can't even, you don't even have the time to even research to, to come back with something because they've already, they're, you know, six topics down the road. Right. By the time you even come with one piece of factual information off of what they're talking about. So um, I know that's kind of a long winded answer, but but I think that's that's one of the things that he really hit on was, you know, we really need to try to take a step back and, and look more in depth at, at the things that we're we're talking about, because, you know, while we may see problems in one area, you know, the data after a deeper look may show that it's not so much a problem, mm -hmm. but you know, in other areas, the data may show there's a much greater problem than we actually realize. I agree with that. Um, it's kind of the whole Jack of all trades, master of none kind of situation. Um, I, my wife yesterday actually was, um, she had seen something somewhere and somebody was complaining about the police brutality and about how it's overblown um, and she came back and she responded like you're not even addressing what the real issue is and what you're trying to say um, and then she was 
collectively jumped on by the internet um, because she was trying to keep someone to the facts. Um, yeah, I've, we've, I've had plenty of conversations with my wife about that kind of stuff recently, just about um, finding different resources. There's so many manipulative ways to get your, your news out nowadays. Yep, absolutely, right? Like, and I, you know, I, I think like that's, um, you know, one of the like larger issues right now is, is yes, there, there absolutely is manipulative ways, right, um, to, to get your news out. Like, uh, I think one of the, you know, things that used to happen with like Reddit and, and I don't know if you were, remember dig dig was like the precursor to reddit mm-hmm. um was you know downvote brigading right where um you know certain certain news would come out that that certain groups didn't like and so what would they do they would go on either dig or reddit and they would you know collectively go and, and just downvote it using multiple accounts and and, yeah. and uh you know luckily like there's you know data scientists has grown to where like when those things are happening, like they can be identified and, and countered, um, you know, but, but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a much larger problem that, you know, at, hopefully at some point as a society, we figure it out. Uh, I have my doubts, but, but, but I'm hope, but here's hoping. Sure. Sure. So you have your, your time you've been spending with your kids what do you do with your wife? Do you guys have a, a common hobby or anything like that? Um, not really. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like we are two vastly kind of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and where like, you know, the, the one thing that we kind of actually, I would say that one thing that we kind of actually like bond over that we is unfortunate because we don't really have it right now is like, you know, going to like sporting events. Right. Sure. Like that, that was, that was like our big thing was like going to like, you know, hockey games or, or going to, um, or going to like baseball games and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately that's kind of, you know, mm-hmm obviously on hold right now, you know? Um, but no, like, you know, I'm very, I'm very, you know, physically oriented, like I, you know, jujitsu working out, um, you know, kind of being outside is, is, is my thing. Um, she is much more, um, less physically oriented. Like she's, you know, kind of into, um, doing things here in the house and, and, and we have two different kind of, um, two opposite ends on, on the, uh, the, like the spectrum of like interacting with people, right. Where like, I'm, I'm very like outgoing. I want to, you know, like, I like going places where there are people and, and, and doing things, you know, and, uh, places with a lot of people make, make her anxious and, and kind of nervous. So, um, so it's, 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 it's been definitely a challenge, you know, right now. I, my wife and I have the same thing going on. I don't mind crowds. I'll go to some events with a million people and she's, you know, says, oh, more than 20 people. Let's not do that. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> um, but that's okay. I'm just gonna. I, I'm not even gonna ask a question to to go around the topic. But let's just go straight to it. If you had to say, what are you? What's that one thing that you could just talk about forever that you're so passionate about that you just wish that you could get someone else on that same level of um, enjoying this thing? Oh man. Um. So that that's kind of the thing with me is like. I become passionate about so many things. Um, I, you know, I'm super passionate about leadership, very, very passionate about leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I love kind of, you know, talking about how, about how to, you know, motivate people, do right by people, um, and, and get things accomplished. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I view it as just being such such a, a a it's it's such a challenging thing, right? Like like you you never really to me like you know I've done numerous things in my career that I would all say is hard, but the hardest thing of that that I've ever done is try to get you know teams of people all motivated to do the same. To, to get motivated to accomplish the same goal, mm. you know, um, because especially when you're talking about multiple people across multiple teams, you know, you have to figure out, you know, how to get, you know, folks that are inherently, you know, not going to get along, right. Mm. Um, how to get them to see past that, and to operate towards the greater goals of the team. Um, and it's extremely challenging, right? Like, you know, I've like one of the, one of the biggest challenges I've ever faced was, you know, getting somebody that was um, a senior member of a team, regardless regard to rank though. However, they were the junior member on the actual team for doing that specific task. Right. Okay. So, and then the problem was, was they had prior experience, which they felt, you know, made them the senior person, but that experience was related, but, but completely different than what we were trying to accomplish. Right. Sure. Um, so, you know, I spent an inordinate amount of time getting, trying to get this person to understand that to be an effective leader, they needed to take the back seat and kind of learn from these junior personnel and then, you know, guide them if they saw better ways on how to do it, provide mentorship and be less directive and not get, you know, upset at that they weren't immediately latching on to their ideas, right? Um, and that's some of the, I've spent, you know, I spent more time pulling my hair out trying to accomplish those tasks than I have any sort of like analytical task that I've ever tried to do. <laughs> okay. So if it, I'm trying to think of how to say this within the leadership world, um, it sounds like you encompass the roles of like a moderator and a motivator. Does that sound about right? Now? Yes. After, after some, some, some growing up, um, and kind of getting, I guess, long in the tooth, right. Uh -huh. Um, 
you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely kind of where I see like my leadership now is where, you know, instead of being directive and saying, this is what we're going to do. I spend the majority of my time trying to get people to trying to incept them, if you will. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like to put, to put the, the nugget of, of, you know, information into their brain of what I'm trying to get them to do and then to get them to self-realize that idea. Right. And then to present it to me as if it's their own idea. Um, that's what I think that's really kind of like what quintessential leadership is actually about is, you know, getting people to kind of have self-realization and to come up with what you're trying to get them to do on their own, because when it's their own idea, they're much, much more likely to see it through versus being told what to do. Okay. So I'm going to change my, my previous comment and we won't say motivator and moderator. We'll just say manipulator. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding uh, i mean but that's you know i mean I, I know i know we say that jokingly right but but um there's a there's a great book you know uh how to win how to win friends and influence people right um that kind of talks about that idea of of you know it's not so much of you know telling other people what to do but to to get them to kind of to do what you want based off of you know, productive behaviors, you know? Um, and there's another book that, uh, it's a super old book that talks about, um, how to, it's, I want to say it's like how to manipulate your parents. Right. Okay. But, and it, and it sounds crazy because like, it's like how to manipulate your parents. But what the book basically says is, is like, is it basically says like, be a good kid and, you know, you can get your parents to do whatever you want. Right. Like that's the, that's like what the message is, is basically is of the book is, is like, Hey, like, you know, well, if you really want your parents to, to do this or, you know, then maybe you should figure out like what their expectations of you are and then do those. Right. Um, <laughs> and it and sounds it, like that and, was written by a parent who really it, wanted some quiet. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, 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 but, but that's the thing about leadership, right. It's like, you know, if you really want somebody to excel in a work center, right. Find out what they're interested in, find out what motivates them, find out what drives them. Right. And then analyze what you're asking them to do and find out how you can link what you're asking them to do into those things. Uh -huh. And then, re and then communicate, how those things exist and what, what you're trying to get them to do. And then, you know, when they, when they see that, when they see, Oh, I'm really interested in this. And this is, you know, something that, that can be done. They, 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 they want to do, they, they start to intrinsically develop a drive to be that much better. Hmm. That's, I, I understand how that would be difficult because there's a lot to that especially because you and have to consider the person that you're talking to and what they respond to. Yep. And you're going to get it wrong more often than you're going to get it right. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is like, you have to just be okay with getting it wrong. Right. Uh -huh. and, and, and being able to go back a step and say, Hey, like, okay, you know, let's, we, that we, we tried that, that didn't work out. Let's try this now um, and go back to it. Right. And 
but the thing that the thing that is probably like with that sort of style right um the biggest downside to that style is it takes a lot of time mm-hmm. a lot of time because you have to spend time talking to people you have to spend time getting to know people um you know, it's much less instant than a directive leadership style, right? Where you're like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. That's super quick. And yeah, you may be productive for a short amount of time. But um, eventually, if people are doing tasks that they are not aligned to do, or they don't feel motivated to do for a long enough period, they're going to get stressed out and your production is going to drop way down. So it's, it's where, like, depending on the task, it's where do you want, where do you want to spend the time to, to fix things? Do you want to spend the time in the beginning where it may take you longer to get started, but it's much more effective? Or do you want to spend time in the end where now you're trying to fix all the issues that were caused by being directive in the beginning? So I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but I'm going to do it. Um, I feel like a lot of the leadership that we have um, military-wise is very focused on that same, not on what you're saying, but on the opposite side of we need this me- this need filled, we're going to do this. And then you don't, you know, you get the, you know, eight-year senior airman who's upset at everything. Well, um, eight-year eight senior airmen are... are, are are always <laughs> going to be everything, right? Yeah, um, so, okay. So there, there's a great quote by, and that's not because they're an eight, eight year senior airman. If any eight year senior airman is listening to this, I, it's, I'm not saying that because you're an eight year senior airman. I'm saying that because of a quote by Colin Powell, right? Uh-huh. And I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but the quote basically is, is that, um, you know, if your soldiers stop bringing their complaints to you, you've got a problem. And it means one of two things. It means they either don't trust your, you can be effective in fixing their problems or they don't think you care. And both are a failure in leadership, right? Complaining is a, is a natural instinct of a service member. Sure. Um, that if, if I would be super, I am more concerned about not hearing complaints from my people than I am from hearing complaints from my people. Because if they're not complaining, something's wrong because that means, that means they don't trust me or they don't think I can help. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, but yes, to get kind of back to your point, um, the it's, you know, as, as you progress through the ranks, you'll, you'll, you'll learn more about this. Like, um, sure. you know, when you go to, 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 have you been to ALS yet? No, I, so I, I have my BTZ board later this month. Oh, okay, okay. So, 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 so you're A1C now. Okay, right. Yeah. I, well, I was see, I'm, to your senior airman. I'm sorry. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. But, uh, <laughs> so, so, um, so in ALS, they kind of touch on this, but ALS is still very like, hey, this is, you know, the directive things that you should be doing, right? And uh-huh. then when you go to NCOA, you start learning more about, um, you start learning more about being a, a transformational leader, right? Um, and then senior NCOA is is ex- extremely heavy on, you know, hey, how to be a, a transformational leader, right? Um, 
And, um, and yes, you will see more directive leadership styles in the military, right? Because uh, unfortunately, sometimes that's just how the way things have to be. We just need to get things done. Sure. Um, but, you know, the, the ultimate goal of like senior leaders is, is to be tran- transformative, right? Is to, is to not direct, but to guide folks into accomplishing things on their own. Um, because that's how you, that's how you become much more effective, um, you know, as, as a, as a leader. Okay. Um, I would be very interested in those. I've done, you know, joining later. I had a lot of time to do a lot of those kind of leadership courses and stuff. Um, and I've always been interested in it. So we'll, uh, see if we can get that going. One of the things I know you do enjoy is your adult beverages. Um, let's talk about that for a sec. Um, cause that's something Absolutely. I'm interested in. I've, you know, been old enough to drink for quite a while now. So, um, personally I do, um, a little bit of like home bartending stuff. I've been like making my own syrups and stuff like that. Nice. Um, I just need a liquor cabinet to support it. So what is it that you like? Oh man. So, you know, I, I would like to think that my, uh, my, um, my choices of, of beverage have, have matured over the years. Um, you know, I, I started off as a, as a young man, you know, drinking an unhealthy amount of Miller light, um, okay. you know, which, which I, I would probably like throw up now if I tried to drink a Miller light, um, by itself. But, uh, you know, so then I, I switched to, you know, I started doing home brewing for a little bit and getting into like IPAs. Like I really like IPAs. Uh-huh. And, uh, at, and as of the past couple of years, like whiskeys and scotches have, have become kind of like my thing. Um, okay. I really, I, I really enjoy, um, a good, uh, PD scotch, like, like a, like a, a scotch from the Island of Isla mm-hmm. in, in Scotland. Like that's, that's going to be at the top of my list of, of things that, of things I'm, I, I enjoy. Um, and you know, more so because I, I kind of started like, uh, I really enjoy kind of like learning about, you know, scotch and, and the different areas of Scotland, like uh-huh. you know, how the different areas are known for their different kind of flavor profiles. Yep. Um, and how like the, you know, the, the no kidding, like, climate of where you know in scotland different yeah. scotches yeah, yeah. you know very much affects like you know um the different the different scotches um you know it, it's it's kind of one of those things right like like you know you have your highland scotches you've got your isla scotches you've got your your Speyside scotches right um and they're all gonna have a, a different kind of flavor profile mm-hmm. you know that's you know, strictly based off of where they were made. Right. And, and, you know, how like in, you know, Isla, you know, they have like these famous peat bogs where, you know, that's how they dry their, um, that's how they dry their malt. Well, the, the peat bogs are, you know, make a super smoky and, and, and even super salty, um, flavor into the malt. Right. And so that's, that gets into the scotch and then, you know, they, those same peat bogs are in Speyside or, 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 or the Highland scotches. Right. Um, 
you know, so I, I, I think that's, that's really interesting, interesting to me. Like I really kind of like learning about, about that. Okay. I haven't done that much research. I've had a couple, um, you know, PD scotches and the majority of the time that I've had them, I feel like I'm chewing on an old leather boot. <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, it, it's definitely a, um, like everything, it's kind of an acquired taste, right? Like, yeah. Um, my, my wife, she, she hates it. Um, you know, but I, I, she, she's cause she, I can sit beside her like on the couch or something and she'll be like, Oh my God. She's like, I could smell you from here. <laughs> and, uh, but to me, like, I, 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 I kind of chuckle at it. Right. Like I'm like, I'm like, you know, like if I, if I'm drinking a scotch, I want somebody to think that I just came from a campfire. You know? Yeah. There you go. It's, it's kind of how I feel about it. I, you know, I get that comment from my wife a lot too. Um, not that I'm like heavily consuming alcohol, but if I right. ever do, it's always like, I, I don't know. I'll just walk into a room and she'll say, I can smell you from here. Like, I, I don't believe you. You just, you just your way of saying don't drink too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I do think I could get into it. I just haven't, um, developed or experimented enough with, uh, a good peated scotch. But, uh, yeah, I, my wife and I like to do tours of places. So okay. we um, we did the, the Guinness factory that they have here locally. Oh, nice. That was fun. Yep. Um, I'd recommend that if you haven't done that. Yep. Um, there's also a brewery really close, um, relatively close to uh, Post called the Crooked Crab. That's also a, a decent one to go look at. Yep. Um, and there's like another million of them in this area. I don't know what's up with all the the distilleries and breweries out here. And a surprising number of them are um, owned by retired military. Yes, absolutely. So, so this area is actually um, one of the kind of like hubs of uh, craft brew. Um, and the one of the first places is Heavy Seas Brewery in Baltimore. Uh-huh. Uh, was one of the first like really big craft brewers, um, and you know they kind of. I went a couple of years ago to um, their twenty year anniversary, um, and and they kind of told the story about you know making 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 beer and in. Uh, in a, a small brewery that they had in like the attic of their like, you know, bar that they ran and, you oh. know, how getting, you know, approval to, to actually sell it, you know, and, and, um, there, there's, there's a lot of that. And it's, and I think that, you know, it, it's, it's really good. Right. Like, so, you know, and Anheuser-Busch and, and the other like major, you know, things um to me you know when you when you make something in mass um it really kind of loses its uh, um obviously its uniqueness right yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and that's one of the things that is great about craft brewers and, and distilleries and um 
and the like is because I, th I really kind of think you start to actually get some flavor back in the, uh, in the, the products that they offer. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, no, and no two things are, are going to be made exactly the same. There, there's going to be slight variances. I mean, you know, as they per, per, perfect their craft, they may get a little bit better, but, um, I, th I think that's the great thing about those products. I have to agree. And I just, I like local businesses. I, uh, any chance we'll try and go to a little hole in the wall, mom and pop kind of restaurant or something like that instead of a chain. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, let's get things wrapped up. Okay. Um, couple of questions I'd like to ask at the end. What are you grateful for? Oh man. What, what am I grateful for? Um, you know, I, I really am grateful for folks that have helped me out over the years. Um, despite my, my own ability, my ability to get into my own way sometimes, Okay. you know, and, and what I mean by that is like, you know, I, I think I heard you kind of say this at the beginning of the podcast and, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry if I'm misreading it, but like, you know, um, it's kind of one of those things where sometimes we don't kind of see in, in ourselves the things that make us like uniquely, you know, great. Right. Um, and it takes other people kind of seeing that and then applying that or putting us in positions to apply that regardless if we actually see that as happening or not. Right. Um, and, and I, I want to say that I'm, that I, that I'm, that I'm, I'm really grateful for, you know, the folks that maybe saw things that I, that I may or may not have seen in myself and, and put me in positions to be successful. That's great. Um, what are you proud of? What personal things have you accomplished that you're proud of? Oh man. Oh, there's, there's so much. Um, you know, it's, you know, I've done uh, a, a lot of things over the, the course of my career that I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of some of those things, a lot of those things that I can't state in this form. Um, you know, I'm, what I can state is, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of, of, of like the work that I did and working counterterrorism mission sets. Like, you know, I've received a, a um, <clears throat> the national Intel intelligence meritorious unit citation for some work that we did. I'm, you know, super proud and, and grateful to be that on that team. Um, but what I'm most proud of now is when folks reach out to me and tell me that they appreciate something that I, you know, did for them. And, and what I, what I don't mean is like, you know, I'm not super proud of like something that was immediately like fixed. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more proud of when somebody reaches out to me, like after years and go, man, like, you know what, like, you know, you talked to me about this and, and I figured out a way to, to really kind of do that. And it's really helped me. Right. Like, like those sorts of like long-term, um, gains by people are, are, are what I'm, I'm most proud of now. 
Um, uh, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, okay. Next question, or last question I have for you is just, do you have any advice that you'd like to generally give to the people listening? Um, the, the best advice that I could possibly give is um, be open and receptive to feedback and be willing to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And that is, is incredibly difficult to do and you're probably gonna not be successful at it your first go, but don't stop trying. Fantastic. Um, my last little bit I'd like to do is some takeaways. Um, it's just my opportunity to tell you what I have gotten from you based on this interview. Okay. Um, first off, I I don't know how to not make it sound like it's not a good thing. <laughs> so that's a great way to preface this. But you just you're just a regular guy, um, and that's a I mean that in the best possible way. Um, I don't think that you are sitting on top of your uh, your career looking down at other people. I do get the feeling um, you actually explicitly said that um, leadership is your passion. Um, more than leadership being your passion, I think it's the people that are what you really get behind. Um, you want to see people succeed. You want to see them grow. Um, like you had just said a minute ago. Um, I do like how, at least from this interview, um, maybe a little different when we put on the uniform, but your approach to leadership is a little bit more loose. Um, and a lot of that is in part, I think, because of the, the need to, not the need, you don't necessarily have a need, but the general leadership need to um, incept ideas like how you had said before as well. Um, I do think it's uh, a very refreshing take that you have on a lot of these things, how open you are about how you were kind of uh, just slumming around for a little while, not doing well before you joined. Um, this is definitely, I, based on what you are now, I can tell you that you are a 100% different person than what you were um, and that's something to definitely be proud of. Um, I, from everything that you had said about how pushing people is something that um, is necessary, but that it's difficult to do, and that majority of the time you're not going to do it effectively. Um, I I know that you have struggled in leadership positions, but you don't give off. Um, a beaten down kind of vibe where you kind of wallow in your, you know, quote, lack of, um, of results. Um, I really feel like, uh, you know, the result isn't necessarily everything to you because it's still about people. Um, and lastly, I just, from this, I really hope that people get how, um, how great a guy you are. I feel like this interview doesn't do you justice as who you are or what you like or what you stand for or anything like that. Um, and I would just love to emulate you. This, uh, this is giving me new directions to, to look into and to, to try and understand and develop myself. 
That's that's awesome. No, I I, I appreciate kind of everything that that you said, um, because you know there 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 are parts of there that I feel like that you said that are that are that are dead on. Right? Is like, um, you know, I do I I I know very much what it's what it's like to, you know, not be successful, um, and you know, I've experienced that firsthand and, and, and it's crushed me in some cases. Right. Um, but the one thing that I did kind of really like learn from that is that that's always going to happen. You know, yeah, it's, it's always going to happen. Um, because if you're, if you're, if you're, you know what, and I I don't want to ramble too much. And so, but you know what, not being successful tells you, that it tells you that you're trying (laughs) yep right yeah it does not being successful tells you that you're trying right um because you know with that with there there can't be progress without struggle um and so one of the things is is like is like if if your life is easy and i've said this on on like my thing is like if your life is easy and you don't have struggle then you're probably not trying very hard, right? And what's more disappointing than than being than being a failure is <laughs> is being the person that doesn't attempt anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um that's that's more disappointing than being a failure. Um is being the person that doesn't attempt anything. So, you know, uh so I I, I feel I do feel very very good saying, you know, that that yeah, that that's you know, that's, that's kind of embodies me as a, as a, as a person is, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my failures as, as well as proud of my, proud of my, my successes as well. Um, and I, I appreciate all the words that you say. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know if I would agree that, Hey, maybe folks should emulate me. I, you know, um, (laughs) I, uh, you know, I've, I definitely have, you know, definitely have have like everybody else have had my ups and downs right but uh but no i definitely appreciate it and um you know if i i i do want to say that you know i'm always welcome to be a a a sounding board to to anything that anybody ever wants to wants to talk about fantastic um i appreciate that um last little bit i'll do is do you well you have your hanging with hughes um what do you have coming up for that? Oh man. So it's, it's, I've, I'm kind of like at the, uh, the, the crash after the highs, right. Right. Uh-huh. Right. With that, you know, I had, uh, you know, the command chief on, um, mm-hmm. chief Ross and that was really good. And then I had, you know, the other thing with, with chief Toberman and that was really good. And, you know, after that, I kind of was like, Oh man, like, where do I go from here? Um, and so, that's still kind of in the process. I'm trying to line up another chief. Um, and then, uh, I'm trying in one of the airmen and I, I hope the airmen in the squadron, I, uh, you know, listens to this and hears this, but one of the airmen asked me to, um, to get members that had recently separated, not retired, but separated, um, to come and talk about their experience. Um, you know, leaving the military, both good and bad. And I'm working on that. I'm just having a hard time getting uh, those folks lined up. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, that's kind of what I'm what I'm aiming to do right now. I think this week, you know, um, 
is probably just going to be a, a very low key. I'm probably just going to do like a happy hour on zoom where just kind of, you know, BS with folks um, while I try to kind of recharge the batteries and get back at it next week. Yeah. Sounds good. And uh, so zoom is where we can find that that's going to be given in uh, flight and squadron slack most likely as well as Facebook. Yes, sir. Okay. Fantastic. And what time is that usually? Uh, so usually it's at, at 1900 on, on Fridays. Okay. Fantastic. So everybody has no excuse for not knowing <laughs> where hanging with Hughes is now. Um, for anybody who would like to be part of the podcast, you can email me at spotlight32podcast at gmail.com. You can also send in questions you want people asked in the future or any other kind of suggestions. Until then, thank you very much for listening.